Hold on, you want to see if he's... David, is your mic working? Um, okay, yeah. good. We got just... you. Good. Cool. Okay, so we are extremely uh, happy to present this uh, interview. We are, or this uh, guest onto the uh, onto the show. We are very pleased to introduce David John Roden, um, a philosopher and author uh, of um, the work well, post-human, right? yeah, post-human so. life, philosophy at the edge of the human, um, as well as an, a number of other interesting essays and articles. Um, and David, we are uh, really happy to welcome you on the, onto the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Uh, so I, I, I think the, the architecture of the, the first couple things I want to, I would like to maybe talk about are like, um, I, I, I guess just like kind of the, maybe the elements of, of post-human life and okay. if there's, you know, anything about that work that you might want to like particularly underline before, you know, and like yeah. get, get too far into things. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think, um, you know, retros- retrospectively, it's sort of easier to break down into sort of components than when I was writing the thing, you know, where it just seemed like, you know, it just seemed crazy. And I, 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 you know, so it's, I, I guess anybody writing a um, a book probably feels this at times. That they, 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 they really don't know whether what they're doing is in any worth or it's going to make any, any sort of sense. But any, anyway, retrospectively, I think it, it breaks down to, to, to a number of components. So the question it's asking is, is, is roughly um, how how can we philosophically grapple with the idea that um, humans might, as a result of their own technological activity, be replaced by some kind of successor life form or species? Um, and the, the philosophical problem is is kind of how you characterize that that both both the notion of succession and difference you know what is it to become non-human or what it, what do we mean by non-human here um, and what kind of constraints um, are operative when we when we think about this in what is after all an epistemically non-ideal situation namely that you know, uh, in the sense that I'm using post-human in the book, there are no post-humans, at least none that I know of. Um, right. So we're, we're actually thinking about purely hypothetical entities. You know, and I guess that's one of the di- one of the differences between the speculative post-humanism that I'm doing in that book and what we might call critical post-humanism, which is is more about kind of deconstructing the very idea of the human. Um, so. The, 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 as I said, there are components to that. There is there, there are there's a sort of epistemological component, which, which is, I, as I said, it's about questioning the constraints. You know, for example, are, are post-humans agents? Are they language users? Are they would they have to be social? Um, what kind of would they have to have bodies? All sorts of questions about that, and how can we know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's the you know what's the scope of our knowledge um then as i said there's a problem of of of, of difference if you like human post-human difference how do you characterize uh, uh this difference does it for, for example presuppose some kind of essentialist understanding of the human you know so is it the case for example that the only way we can think about the post-human is in terms of beings which lack some necessary um, condition for humanness okay or sure. can we have a non-essentialist do we have you know do a non-essentialist account um, of, 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 of human post-human difference and then related to that is, is the problem of, of agency um, given that post-humans would be some kind of agent what what kind of um, Age, you know, what kind of concept of agency can we use given that it's going to have to travel pretty well into this sort of hypothetical future that um, I'm trying to paint? So, um, yeah, so there's an epistemological component. There's a, 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 an ontological component. There's also um, packed, it, packed into the very short space of Chapter 7 is a little theory of technology, um, because technology is a kind of key component to this as well. 
um, how do we understand what is technology and in a sense how are our how does technology relate to the kinds of choices that we might have to make about becoming post-human or not becoming post-human or or adopting or not adopting some potential post-human making technology um so yeah so theory there's a theory of uh if you like the boundedness of our notions of agency there's the theory of if you like uh, uh not not taking a page from heidegger here of ontological difference <laughs> but not in, not in a heideggerian sense right. um, and um a theory of technology um which obviously i can you know i can unpack all three of those that you know at, at, at leisure <laughs> but that's 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 kind of the, yeah. the, the the framework of the book that's, that's really beautiful david no thank you thank you so much for that and i think that's that hopefully lays some pretty pretty good groundwork because we have a idea of kind of the big factors hopefully underlying this like yeah. this image of the post-human and this and I, I sort of like the way you said it about like it's a you're you're, you're painting it right we're like we're trying to to yeah. i don't know i would I, I, I like this word portrait but it, it does it does yeah. seem like an, and honestly that's another kind of dimension we wanted to ask you about which was like kind of the maybe the role more broadly of fiction and, yeah. and hypothesis and speculation and, and sure. philosophy it's, it's just a really beautiful kind of like you know, I don't know, like will will to create this this um, yeah. these, these these new conceptions of how we could could become something different and but but also something that we are already and like this I don't know. There's something very beautiful about this notion of a of a a plasticity at the at the heart of existence yeah. and at the heart yeah. of human reality that's like capable of unfolding itself into all these different this these multicolored manifestations on these different. And these different planes of existence, or anyway, I don't know. Sorry, I'm getting very fuzzy reformulating. Well, I think I I, I would just say to you, David. uh, Just I I think that part of what I was interested too in this vein is is you indicate aesthetic experimentation. Yeah. So I think that's partly where Joe was going, and and yeah, that's that's something that 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 crops up later in the book, albeit you know perhaps not as is not as well developed as I would like like would have liked it to been um i mean i I was going to say also that you know that in some sense to make the the, these conceptions you know comprehensible perhaps i should talk a little about the motivations for writing the book um because you know why why even worry about this stuff i mean it's you know we've got plenty else to worry about (laughs) you might think (laughs) um so it 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 came out it came out of a I kind of dissatisfaction, I guess, with um, on the one hand transhumanist accounts of um, of uh, if you like the ethics of technological change, and um, right. uh, I guess the the preoccupation of transhumanism with with theories of enhancement and with the ethics of enhancement, um, because. For me, that's already presupposing a lot. It's presupposing, for example, that that technological change is about taking some function and improving it. I think right. that's you know just historically that seems to be questionable. You know, as opposed to, for example, disseminating a function or changing a function or introducing new kinds or new families or species of function. Right. Um, you know, so it, it's not obvious that a car is simply a better way of getting around than a than a horse it's obviously a different one it requires a completely different infrastructure for example so that th- th- there's there's and and then there's the implicit anthropocentrism of this focus on um enhancing human capacities so it assumes that um that our 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 um, successors would be enough like us for, for for their capacities to be commensurable in some ethical terms as ours, uh, and such that their 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 natures wouldn't be so radically different that that, that in a sense different questions different problems would arise for them to, to the ones that arise for us. So there's there's these, there's implicit sort of anthropocentrism or humanism of transhumanism, which in a sense is no great surprise. I mean, transhuman transhumanists I, I think are mostly pretty explicit about their their focus on on um, 
you know some idea of the human person as as as, as, as if, if you like the locus of these the, these changes and then there's a, there was a i guess a sat- dissatisfaction with um arguments within uh i guess what i'm calling tra- critical post-humanism right which which kind of discounted this idea of a radically different post-human future by i don't know ridiculing the idea that we could be uploaded minds or um right or, or simply or simply pointing to the fact that that pointing to if you like making anti-essentialist claims about about the human for example by saying that we've always been um uh, we've always outsourced our capacities to technology so future outsourcings won't result in anything you know unrecognizable um in, un, un, unrecognizable as, as as human you know it'll just be more of the same and you know i think those aren't very persuasive arguments um i mean it's not that critical post-humanism isn't, isn't interesting worthwhile but i think that discounting of of radical difference is is, is problematic um so and also i was doing some 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 work on, on on philosophy of technology which kind of led to the 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 um the work in chapter seven so yeah there was kind of multiple sources of dissatisfaction i wanted so i wanted to kind of asking you the question of what 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 we could understand by post-human how we can conceptualize the post-human in a way that in a sense meets some of those um, worries about for example anti-essentialism that's no that's 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 great um so i i mean i i think maybe the the thing i would want to kind of double click and zoom in on is the the technology kind of component here yeah and um, it, it, I mean, that's like my particular bias, obviously, right? Like, but um, I, I, I guess like one series of questions would be about the way in which kind of life is itself a technology that we have a yeah. disconnection from. And, and sorry, that's more of a comment than a, a good question here. But like that, that you know, in, in, in other words, like the, the transhumanist discourses is, is circulates, as you said, around tapping into the information processes at work in individual human beings mm. and, you know, s- somehow extending, augmenting, introducing new control flows or loops, neural mesh at the limit to yeah, like yeah. tap into to the local structure of transcendental experience or something. And then presumably augment that in the, again, in the direction of quote unquote, perfecting, optimizing away kind of what they would call a necessary archaic parochial element yeah, yeah. the 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 transcendental structure of human experience right like the end result of this would be a remarkable distortion and distension and i i would suggest a disconnection but maybe that's i guess that's where we i think a lot of our questions circulate around yeah. is this question disconnection and the role of deep time I mean, from one point of view, it seems like, well, deep time provides all the, and sorry, I'm going on and on. I, I want to let you get in. And all. That's well, fine. Um, no, I think, I think that's right. Um, I mean, obviously there's the question of whether not only whether, you know, there's some kind of essence of human or some sort of set of necessary conditions for being human, but whether there's some kind of essence of technology, whether, you know, the distinct, even the distinction between us and our technology, you know, could be made in, in, in a rigorous way. And of course, um, you know, there, there, there's a whole, you know, if you like, kind of cyborg anthropology that you get with, with, for example, you know, theories of the extended mind or some of um, Bernard Stiegler's work, which, you know, argues that in, in a sense we're, you know, for some kind of originary technicity that in, in a sense that, that, that a lot of our, our um, cognitive capacities are inherently kind of coupled involve a, a kind of coupling of human bodies with artificial environments artificial entities you know obviously writing archiving for example being a um, particularly um, good example i think so yeah the, 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 and then there's a the question well whether whether some of these you know it, 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 even looking at some of the proposed um augmentations uh, and some some of the proposed extensions of agency that i discussed in the book whether they really just give more of the same or whether they they actually involve something really 
you know, involves something that's inherently speculative. Uh, and I guess the other, you know, and I failed to mention this, I guess the other influence or component to, 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 to this was, uh, at the time I was writing and thinking about the book, obviously was the debate within about speculative realism and between various... Um, you know, physiparous kind of wings of that movement, which I, I, you know, I found very philosophically bracing and interesting at the time. Uh, and it certainly, you know, influenced, for example, well, I mean, obviously influenced me in my choice of, 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 of the name speculative posthumanism. Up to some extent, I was kind of tapping into that idea that, 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 that reality can be thought of as fundamentally autonomous from Right. Um, the, the, the knowing subject and by extension the future could be thought of as fundamentally autonomous from our kind of human world is, human is so would world. you is, is this maybe what you characterize as deep time am i do you, can i okay the, didn't you call it yeah un- i mean it's a bit time? it's Wasn't a bit hand wave, yeah 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 i mean in in a sense um not placing kind of restrictions right. upon on, on the kind of duration that we're thinking about. And I suppose if we don't know how many, you know, it's the expected lifetime, um, you know, to, to you know, to, to, as, as Joss, Joss Whedon might say, you know, there's just a, yes. a lot of time <laughs> out there. <laughs> so, you know, if, you know, if, I don't know, I don't, you know, so there's, uh, you know, we've got about uh, five billion years till the sun dies. Um, I don't know what the expected um, life, remaining lifetime of the of, of the universe is, but you know, it's a lot in terms of um, you know thinking about potential technological change. So the idea that that they, that they, that that that, um, that 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 that's that certain kinds of conditions of existence couldn't change radically seems. Um, you know, contestable at least, and and the and you know, and as you were saying, the idea that that couldn't have sort of philosophical implications about how we imagine forms of subjectivity seems highly contestable. So it's something that at least needs to be taken seriously, philosophically, and raises serious problems. I mean, I think a lot of what the book is about is is just defining the problems. You know. Um, like defining them in terms of constraints, in terms of issues of difference, as I so so maybe this gets into the ethics part a little bit about the, a theory of the human in in terms of a kind of a theory of constraints or something or like the 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 co, co, co yeah I don't know the composition of the human through a through an like an a, a stratified system of constraints right I guess this is like the I mean because like in, in in my head so much of this stuff codes. It politically, and maybe I'm wrong, right? Like for a de-hierarchizing, you know, almost a hacker ethos, like down with central processing kind of logic. And like, maybe, maybe I'm wrong with like, and I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. About, like, okay, what is the vector technically here? Okay. Is it like, let's hack the system and transform it from within and like, is, and, and is this what xenophilia kind of codes for? I don't know. Sorry. Maybe I'm like inter- interpreting hard here oh well that's that's kind of alluding to the to the later stuff for sure yeah um let's yeah i think going back to the constraints so i I guess fundamental distinction i make in the epistemological material is between what i call a bounded post-human and post-humanism and an unbounded post-humanism a bounded post-humanism um says something like only certain kinds of entities are going to count right. as serious agents for our purposes and attaches some quali- some condition to being such an entity such as for example being a language user or being being social um, and you know this that's motivated by models you know phil- philosophical accounts uh, such as Donald Davidson's or Robert Brandon's which uh, or, or, or going back further, I guess Hegel, which argue that this that that, 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 yeah. that in a sense subjectivity presupposes a relation to others right. so, within some. So maybe Turing should Turing test be called the Hegel test? Is that the maybe? <laughs> 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 so so that's a bound. So one version of a bounded posthumanism might say, well, the, in a sense, whatever posthumans are going to be like, even they've got real, you know, even if they've got eight legs rather than two or 
you know, some other weird form of embodiment. They'll be fundamentally social, perhaps linguistic. Um, and so there'll be some possibility of kind of understanding, such as some possibility of mutual understanding were we to encounter them. They won't be so radically alien that, that, that in a sense, we can't see them as in some sense, you know, um, descendants of us, even if obviously they're not biologically um, similar. Um, and I contrast that with um, an unbounded post-humanism, which, if you like, hacks away those constraints, which um, says, you know, says, for example, that actually the notion of agency is much more general than this notion of uh, um, socially kind of uh, constituted agency uh, and it might inform life that you know don't think about the world or don't engage with the world in the way we do but are you know nonetheless considerable in lots of ways whether in terms of power in terms of their, their monsters so you know one thing I'm implicitly questioning here is, is is the primacy we attach to the person in, in moral philosophy it might be that post-humans are you know morally considerable in some way but they're not persons um, you know, in in the way that you know we we we're schooled to think of persons in the kind of broadly post-Kantian tradition of, of moral theory, um, they might like have a so, distributed kind of or something like this. Is that the yeah something you know? I mean, incarnation? you know, I mean, I do you know I do sketch in sort of fairly some fairly kind of fanciful models for that, and that they are fanciful, but. Um, you know, and there are obvious limitations on 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 you know what you can do within philosophy in in, in those terms. But yeah, there may be some kind of swarm intelligence, for example, um, could could be as subtle and as significant an agent as as we are, but but have no you know central or or or, or or single stream of consciousness, and it may not use or, or need anything like a, a, a written language, for example. Um, so, <sighs> it seems um, it seems precipitate to simply assume that because such a being wouldn't constitute a person in either a Lockean or Kantian sense, that it isn't some in some sense morally important. Right. Um, you know how what since we're in this non-ideal situation we're not in a good position to if you like demarcate this moral universe um, you know this what I call post-human possibility space and simply assume that that such creatures or entities wouldn't be in some sense significant agents um, so that kind of relates to the ethical issue you were you were alluding to Joe, because um, if ethics supervenes on embodiment, that is, if, if the kind of ethics that's relevant to a creature supervenes somehow in the way that creature is biologically, physically, um, how it relates to, to its environment, to others of its kind, um, then it's very hard for us to, to do post-human bioethics in the absence of post-humans, in a sense, engineering or evolution seems to preempt ethics here, and that may be alluding to that. That 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 may be what you're getting at when you're saying that that the ethical upshot of all this is we just hack away and experiment with 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 bodies and forms of life, because in a sense we're not in a position to stand back and decide in advance which forms of life are going to be good or bad ahead of actually producing them that's a that's a beautiful that strikes me as like a nietzschean thing about we have to like somehow evaluate the form of life before and and experience it before we can pretend yeah. to sit in judgment over and, yeah i guess it is i i guess i'm making up the fact i'm i'm, I'm such a bad historian and reader of other philosophers by just kind of um, arriving at the same conclusions. By, by oh, no, I meant to, I meant to praise the depth of the internet. But I recognize uh, that. Yeah, uh, I think it's. It I wouldn't say you were just cribbing from each of them. No, I mean, no, I think no, no. you are. You're extending a line of yes. thought uh, <laughs> that Nietzsche yeah. helps inspire, which is precisely. The, I mean, 
for Nietzsche, one of his meditations is on this question of the overman, right? The, the Uberman. And so yeah. this, so, so, so interrogating speculatively post-humanism and it's, and it's possibility for gesturing towards, um, towards that, which has no, no mirror in any sort of contemporary present sense. Right. But is sort of always defies any sort of, uh, even imaginative, yeah. uh, because, because there are, I mean, I think Nietzsche with the overman is, is, is sort of giving us indications of what composes it, but he's still, it's a question yeah. of the question. It's like, I guess it's the question of, um, linguistically, you know, Uber doesn't just mean over. It also means a, 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 a beyond to a certain, so, yeah, it, yeah. so it's, yeah. it, it's this ambiguous suffix or prefix, right? It, it indicates a, a post, a beyond, but it also, yeah. and I mean, it, it also still has that notion of like intensification or transcendence, uh, or, transcendence yeah. or improvement that, that may harbor still uh, these anthropomorphisms. So you're, you're, you're making more explicit, you're, you're uh, radicalizing the question of, uh, you know, of this, what, what, what do we buy beyond? Yeah. And, and potentially Laura well might say, you know, and you might agree with this or not, what we mean by without, because there's something of a without in the, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, and, and I would, I would maybe try to frame that as a question about um, ontology and like the the what's the uh, the figure of the unbound, the uh, you know the Apiron is also the angel or demon who can transcend the local boundaries right. of our of our experience, and yeah. like and just, yeah. maybe just to get back to Nietzsche briefly, like his his figure of the human and of the post human is is a in a certain way a subtractive one. It's a tightrope between yes. and you know. Between yeah, yeah. animal, and, that's beautifully put. Between yeah, animal yeah. and angel, we're like this quivering, you know, thread yeah, that can right. like that can in any moment veer in either direction. Can appear, can choose a divine way of interpreting and evaluating life, or can choose an animal based yeah. interpretation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I guess that's why, why Nietzsche isn't simply a prescriptive moralist. Yes. You know, he's an untimely thinker in that sense that, in the sense that that, that it's part of the, the, if you like, it's part of the the, the conditions under we, we, the conditions which he's laying out that, that we can't, in a sense, we 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 can't re we can't simply revalue values from the from a from a sort of transcendent position. Right. You know, it has. You know, it's 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 it, it, it the, the, there's something inherently futural about that that relationship which we can't sort of preempt without in some sense um doing it um so i mean i guess you know what what, what i'm what i'm trying I, I suppose what, what one of the things i was trying to do in the book is uh, you know obviously the, the last chapter is devoted to ethics but i wanted the ethics in a sense to respond to the kind of predicament that i was kind of setting up in the earlier chapters not simply be you know taken off sh off the shelf as it were, um, which is I guess one of my criticisms of some some not all um, critical posthumanism that it kind of tries to um, extract kind of appealing sounding ethical um, prescriptions or, or, or nostrums um, from from such and such a posthumanist ontology, uh, and I, I, I've for me, the ethical is a real problem, as is the aesthetic. You know, it's just really, really difficult to to do. You know, once you set up these the, the, these constraints or lack of constraints. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah. Sorry, I'm run out of steam. wonderful. Please, but I think that's precisely why you bring up this this notion. And and I and correct me if if I'm wrong. You. You, you seem to indicate you get this from Claire Colebrook, this this notion of counterethics, yeah. and yeah, I, um, I, I I think yeah, I, I saw Claire do a couple of papers um, around the time I was still writing the book uh, or writing some of the papers. Um, there was uh, there was a, plen a plenary paper in um, I think an SCP conference in Brighton, and then she did a brilliant. Um, uh um yeah brilliant keynote on if you like phenomenology and extinction in cardiff for a later scp which you know 
again was grappling with the idea well how do we even as opposed to grappling with the idea of how we understand the post-human it was grappling with the idea of how we understand and think extinction how do we think our own absence right in a sense can we ethically get a handle on that I, i just thought that 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 influenced me an awful lot i just thought the way she was raising this question was really challenging and uh um it wasn't you know, it wasn't clear what, whether there was an answer to it either. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that you know. It, it, but it just seemed to be a really unsettling, difficult philosophical problem, uh, especially from within, you know, say within the kind of phenomenological tradition, where in a sense you're always presupposing <laughs> right. some kind right. of uh, some kind of transcendental subject at least. But you know, can you? in a sense, transcendentalize extinction, the complete absence of any kind of life, or at least any kind of life that we'd recognize. I mean, we can imagine a dead universe, I guess. It's like, it's a really, it's a terrible thought. (laughs) Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to reckon with, for sure. Well, on the other hand, you have, uh, you have someone like Quentin Mayasu, right? You know, and you you mentioned him and this notion of a, maybe a hyper chaos uh, that, um, you know, if, if chaos is the milieu of all milieus, right, there is this sense in which yeah. both the dead universe may be also the one with the most potential for for a radical change. Um, but this notion of counterethics as an, as you, you call it, an implacable subtraction from subjective sense. And that made me think about Mayasu and this question yeah. of yeah, correlationist yeah. circle. Yeah. Does, is that Obviously, this is, this is the later stuff. And I, okay. I, I I just do some stage setting there because um, um, I I guess what I'm what I've been doing in my in, in some of the work since post human life and it, it you know that's been you know written in kind of diverse ways and I mean one one strand was just shoring up um, uh, the the idea of unboundedness right. uh, and that. That came out of, for example, some work I did one summer on Robert Brandom because um, at the time I was r- writing the book, I was talking a lot with people like Pete Wolfendale, particularly right. who were kind of heavily invested in Brandom's work. And at that time, I, I didn't know Brandom that well, so I thought I'd better get my head around uh, Brandom. So um, I, 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 I sort of developed a kind of critique of that sort of Brandomian sort of function um, normative functionalism. Um, that I, I, I think was quite respectful of it, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a brilliant kind of intellectual construction. But I, I, I wanted to argue that the, the idea of normativity presupposes some kind of interpretive sort of subjectivity that sure. in a sense isn't, isn't accounted for within the notion of normativity. It's within that sort of uh, idea of the subject as a kind of... Uh, addressee or uh, respondent to uh, or, or source of, of norms um, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously passing over that very quickly because it, it's 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 fairly knotty stuff sure so that, that that's a, that's the kind of more analytical side of what I was doing the more kind of speculative side was in a sense you know going further and thinking well okay within the in the book I was still thinking in terms of some kind of real agent you know some kind of more or less bounded agent with more or less bounded capacities that could sort of and this is the 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 disconnection thing yeah. this is the idea that you define the post-human in terms of its agential independence of the human system which is if you like the, the, the kind of mass of human bodies ecologies institutions whatever so something becomes human post-human by uh, if you like going feral and cutting out of this 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 mass this kind of historical um, mass, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that that's still kind of within the realm of the, a kind of science fictional futurist idea of the post-human. Um, but my feeling is, if you, in, in a sense, the, the unbounded side of the the, the epistemological side of the um of, of the work was in a sense raising questions about the tenability of even that idea of a, even that sort of minimal idea of a, a kind of roughly self-maintaining system as, a, as an agent by a kind of biological agent um and 
the kind of speculative side, which is, I guess this is the point where, where what I'm doing seems to abut or overlap with, with, with non-philosophy and Lara Wells' work, is there seems to be a point where you question the, the um, scope or, 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 or um, the ability of our concept of agent or an agent or a subject to the point at which it no longer seems to kind of delineate a, a well-defined field. A, 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 you know, it, it, it no longer seems to have kind of some sort of determinate r- relationship to the world. And at that point, it's not clear that we any longer uh, have a a sort of empirically consequential idea of the post-human. I mean, in, back in the book, you know, you could from the disconnection thesis, you could... The disconnection thesis said very little about what post-humans would be like, but at least it would give us some idea of what a post what would be po- what what could const- count as a post-human, right. you know, yeah. just... I don't know, say an, a, an AI sort of... Some AI no longer needs to um use uh um power from uh from from uh, human you know electricity networks because it can you know recycle biological waste and function autonomously well that that's kind of a post human by my right but you know once you relax the constraints to the point at which agency becomes something indeterminate uh then it's no longer clear where you have that that clear ontological divide, and the post-human becomes something much more unstable. Um, I mean, I use um, Derrida's idea of a difference as a as as something something without an ontological basis, and perhaps at this point, the idea of the post-human the post-human or disconnection loses its ontological footing. Um, but it still seems to me, it still seems to have some kind of, if you like, syntactical role within the theory, which allows us to withdraw or, 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 or withdraw from this focus on the deep future, perhaps to, 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 to something that could also be about the present, could also be about our relation to, to particular um, technological changes um, it becomes something much more ambiguous uh, and much more bound up with with the idea of performance and 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 the idea of some kind of aesthetic relation to technology simply because it's it's through doing through producing um, differences that you come to understand what these differences portend or signify I, I love that, David. That's really that's really beautiful. And, and the linkage with Laura Wells seems fascinating to me. I guess the, the thing I was thinking about is something like, you know, there's the in, in the link with Derrida, my head makes makes the link with Laura Wells a little clearer somehow. Yeah, because yeah. it's like the there's the transcendental frame of human subjectivity that we need to sure. find from. But then there's the eminent frame of philosophy, right? That's still yeah, yeah. that would still that's a really nice way of putting it. Right. They would still bind even most of our post human descendants like onto infinity. Yeah. Like we have to really succeed to another universe or something before we yeah. we see philosophy properly unbound. Or at least I don't know how to say it. Anyway, but it, but, it, but nice. you're right. Yeah. I think there's still there's an inherent um, illusion or reference to the very practice of philosophizing that's inescapable here. You know, what are we doing speculating about the post-human given, you know, and what are we doing cutting away these constraints, unbinding, to use a term common to me, um, Ray Brassier, um, and some of the literature I've, 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 I've read on, 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 on non-philosophy as well, unbinding subjectivity in a sense, extracting it from from a, a you know a tight kind of philosophical determination you know it raises questions about what you know in a sense what what is the motivation behind this hence 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 this idea of xenophilia um the idea that in a sense somehow the post-human is somehow inherently bound up with a kind of um impersonal desire for for otherness I can't 
put it much better than that at this time of night. But that's very nice. Yeah, Taylor, did you have a? Yeah, I mean this. The the I see where you in your in your longer essay that you shared with us subtract not 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 the not the one you're working on, but posthumanism crit critical speculative biomorph yeah 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 you, and you and you you turn to to Laura well and i think you do a, a pretty good job of 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 isolating one of the the, the key moments and and sort of being able to quickly elaborate it and, and insofar as philosophy produces this self-mirroring effect yeah, yeah. part yeah. of part of and i think you bring in two notions that maybe uh, we can talk about a little bit that I was, that I was really interested in. And one would be this question of, 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 of a dark phenomenology and, and you put it succinctly, you know, as this, this question of these contents or structures of experience that we may have, but not have the access to any sort of uh, significant understanding of them. And, yeah. and I think that you know, some of that is linked to, this notion that you develop of a hyper agent or a hyper plastic agent and, yeah. and this question of the autonomy that these hyper plastic agents have, uh, their autonomy has gotten to the point where they can modify themselves to a, to an arbitrary degree. And you, and you, you, I think you, you bring this to bear against this notion of Zoe, uh, which Bridati elaborates in the critical post-humanist stance that she takes. And I, I'm wondering about, um, you, said, you said the yeah. hyper agents would have no, uh, examples or, or any, any sort of resemblance to life as we know it in, in, in any sense, um, correct? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I'm the, the very idea of a, so, yeah, so a hyperplastic entity actually originally came out of an essay on robot ethics by um, okay. Omahundro, um, uh, who who was worried about whether a, an advanced artificial intelligence would want to um, clamp its desires to, to, you know, so if it wanted to make paper clips, would it be rationally motivated to isolate all those circuits within it that are to do with desiring paper to make paper clips? <laughs> uh, and he thought it would, and hence it would, you know, continue. It would not only desire to make paper clips; it would desire to desire making paper clips to if you like for that to be its its uh, categorical desire its reason for living and it would make sure that that categorical desire wouldn't change in in the future by i don't know welding i don't know hard 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 well i don't know well making a few micro bit of micro welding in its in its circuits so and i i thought there was just something inherently problematic about this this picture because it it kind of assumed that some, and this is just an example of why, you know, why some transhumanist speculation seemed kind of wrong-headed. It assumed that a, a being with such capacities could even be seen to have desires or a, a subjective life in the way that we we understand sure. it. Right. So, so roughly, the problem with so so if we imagine the hyperagent as something like this robot, which can kind of survey any part of its kind of substrate and make changes without sort of losing its capacity to do that. Um, then loses plasticity. You lose right? its plasticity. Yeah, there so to, There has to be some kind of read-only memory like to, a hype to maintain that, yeah, right? right? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really go maybe very not. far maybe, in, in maybe thinking about the architecture of that, you know. I, I mean, I, it's been pointed out to me, for example, that it, it, it might, you know that, that such a being might be impossible because of the the halting problem. Uh, you know, right. you know the fact that you know for any um, com computer there's no general for any computer there's no general purpose algorithm that will prove that either that that, it, that, that for any program that there's no general purpose algorithm to show whether or not it'll halt at some point. Uh, but yeah, so the basic idea would be that such a being wouldn't be a subject as we understand it because it, it would have no use for, for the kind of psychological or conceptual vocabulary that we employ for thinking about sure. ourselves simply because if you assume that the normative can't be or that the psychological can't be reduced to, to the physical uh, as some anti-reductive 
reductionist materialists like Davidson, I'd, I'd say Brandon and pro- probably Sellers would argue, um, there'd be no reading uh, its normative status uh, from future predictions about its physical or functional status um, and vice versa. So given that it's constantly changing its, its protein, it's constantly changing its substrate, it, it would have no use for, for, for a psychological and normative vocabulary um, for, for, for interpreting itself. It, it, if, it, if it did have some means of self-interpretation, it wouldn't be anything like the ones we use you know belief so, beliefs so, desire so, psychology so you, you know sure. so, I, so i kind of use the anti-reductionist arguments against the idea that you can kind of eliminate the mental by through some kind of physicalist account uh to argue for the dispensability of the mental <laughs> or at least mentalistic right. kind of um forms of self-representation so, like, is that maybe in the sense that, like, explanations based on kind of deep psychological principles or, you know, kind of insight are are basically artifacts of kind of of our blindness of the fact that there's still dark phenomena in the the transcendental structure of local experience that we haven't fully been able to explicate mechanically, although in principle they uh, are mechanistic. Well, it, it may be, but I, I guess... Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, it, it, I guess it, it, I, I find myself backing into blind brain theory somehow yeah, in this. I, 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 it, it actually, I mean, the 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 subsequent arguments for hyperplastic or for the implications of hyperplasticity really come out of Davidson type arguments for for sort of anomalous monism, and Davidson argues okay. that um, that. Uh, um, that there's just just one kind of stuff roughly you know there are just there are you know all, all events are physical events okay in davidson's account um but 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 it's it still me it, it, it's still the case that some of these events ha, um can be subsumed under mentalistic descriptions um so you know the the, the mere fact that we are physical beings doesn't mean that we can't be also describe ourselves as mental beings it's, it's, you, you, it's just you have a physical sure. vocabulary and you have a mentalistic vocabulary and they have different attributes they have you know they, 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 they have different uh, uh, uses and, um, and and features um so but but davidson argues the fact that each event mental event is also a physical event doesn't mean that you can reduce mental vocabulary to physical vocabulary simply because they are such different kinds of you know there are no mental psychophysical laws uh it's just the case that each mental event is a physical event but there, there's no like law-like relationship between the physical and the mental um so the fact that each mental event um uh, is a, is is also a physical event doesn't mean you can reduce um, uh, psychological laws to to um, physical laws. They're just different w- modes of d- different ways of describing the same thing. So, sure. so that that is that non-reducibility that creates a problem for thinking of hyperplastics in 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 mentalistic terms in the way um, Steve Omahundro does, because. Is not, the whole point of having a mentalistic vocabulary is is, is is having some way of describing your your uh, you know your your if you like your macro structure your macro nature uh, in ways that as you imply gloss over all this physical stuff that we're not aware all this biological stuff that we're not aware of as 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 as, as subjects um, but the the, um, the 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 hyperplastic wouldn't have that luxury simply because it's right. constantly intervening in that in that very mess that we you know for most part aren't aren't, aren't aware of when we're we're thinking about thinking or thinking about our perceptual states um so that's so obviously the very idea of a hyperplastic entity is but you know perhaps you know such a being would, would would fall off the edge of chaos perhaps that hyperplastics aren't possible but um, we can at least think about extending our ability to um, extending our plasticity, extending our uh, capacity to change our own substrates. Perhaps you know replacing cognitive behavioural therapy with you know targeted neurological intervention to you know get over phobias or or, or whatever. Um, and 
you know the point the the, the philosophical idea then is to take that that idea of autonomy to the limit and if you take it to the limit i'm suggesting you no longer actually have anything recognizable as an autonomous subject so, but something much yeah something you know lovecraftian and weird like a shoggoth or you know something like <laughs> protean um morass that's that's in some sense doing something but we can't interpret as doing something in the way that we might interpret ourselves or hedgehogs or cats and dogs or even um, octopuses as doing something. And, and so I, from uh, on my reading of this, it sounds like it's it this uninterpretability. Uh, it, it's interesting because from its own point of view, it seems like everything has to be, you know, there's no dark phenomenon, everything about its own, structure of of experience has to be translucent to it um and yeah i suppose at some level but not in a way that we can sort of understand phenomenologically because otherwise we're back into we're, we're making assumptions about you know and that, that so that here i guess dark phenomenology would 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 butt in because if if the dark phenomenology thesis is right then the fact that we have experience doesn't give us an understanding of what experience is and if we don't have an understanding of what experience essentially is then our ability to generalize from our experience to other possible forms of experience seems pretty limited i mean you know that sure. seems to be even true of you know our own experience insofar that, that you know there are so many kind of weird sort of psychological i don't know weird sort of perceptual um uh, perceptual illusions and uh, anomalies and um pathologies that you know you could have never have predicted from you know simply armchair reflection on 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 human experience you know just um um you know people who think they're sure. people who think they're dead or you know, even even right. silly things like the McGurk illusion, where 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 you know the way somebody phrases a word completely changes the way what you hear. You know, I mean, unless you'd been exposed to that, you could have never. It it seems to defy common sense. You know, so it just seems to be you know that our phenomenology seems to be a pretty bad guide even to our phenomenology, let alone other kinds of phenomenology. Um, sure. You know, the phenomenology isn't useful and interesting. It's just, you know, we probably ought to be kind of modest about what it can tell us. Definitely. Well, okay. So to maybe circle back to the, the, so it seems to me like hyperplastic points to this, like kind of this horizon. It's almost like a singularity. It's like this at at the at the limit point of a a self reconfiguring material. It achieves this transcendental limit where the substrate itself no longer matters. And I guess this is where I really want to link it to Simondon. Um, and like the idea of metastability oh, yeah. and like, I, I, I don't know, like some of this I'm going to be a little fuzzy on, but like the, the, the big picture suggestion would be something like the life is already like, you know, a, a form of this infinite plasticity. Um, and it's through tapping into the individuating power of life that we would extend in yeah. any case. And speciation is something life life does and forms these. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so you could actually think of the sort of epigenetic milieu of life as in some sense hyperplastic, obviously not individual organisms. Agreed, yes, yes. But, and, and I think that also extends to the technological milieu even more. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, uh, I, I, you know, one of the arguments I produce, one of the arg- arguments I make in the book, and I, I'm, I'm kind of still inclined to stick by, it, is that you know, technology has no destiny; it has no direction, and it, it, it you know, it has, you know, it has nothing. It's not all. I mean, there's there's this idea that comes out of Jacques Ellul's uh, and the technological society that, in a sense, technology is all. A, it has its own autonomy, its own kind of rules, and these involve maximising efficiency wherever possible. And I think it's possible to argue that that actually technology has nothing like this kind of structure. I mean, I think a lot of what Ellul says is really interesting. But I think actually what he's what he, he has two components to his theory. One is this idea of technological autonomy, this idea of technology being sort of self-maximizing, and the other is is this idea of um, 
self you know technology being also catalytic and cat constantly catalyzing new developments new new changes and i i argue that you know w one of these is in, that this idea of auto catalysis is actually incompatible with the idea of autonomy because it, it it actually disrupts any kind of rule governed um sort of uh rule governed behavior and in fact technology may be far more kind of chaotic and um strange than that it may be you know a completely new kind of entity so yeah. in fact technology is or the, or the human technology coupling obviously because technology doesn't work without us yet um could be in a sense approaching a sort of hyperplasticity you know and it, you know and it has no teleology no finality so it's it has, in a sense has no horizon in in a kind of um, Husserlian or or, or 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 even Heideggerian senses, you know, there's no, you know, there's no way we can, in a sense, grasp where it's going, e e even by t by taking things to the limit. You know, we just reach this sort of null point, which I guess is another point of contact with 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 with, with some idea of non-philosophy. You know, there, there seems to be just a point where, in a sense, philosophy just breaks. When you're thinking about um, technology in these terms, yeah, I mean, I mean, Joe brought up uh, Simondon earlier, and 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 this question of, you know, Simondon starts with this idea that one cannot think or begin to think individuation starting from the individual, right? And 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 so we have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. move beyond or unsettle ontology, yeah. perhaps, you know. Uh, unsettle its its filters, as you might put it, right? And in, in, in order to think or begin to think ontogenesis, and even then, it's 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 we have to have a yeah, yeah. we have to have an an ontogenetic we have uh, theory of yeah. thought, right? We have to have we have to be able to like, I, I mean, in a Deleuzean sense, it's like we have to attain that infinite speed, and philosophy is always lagging behind, but science feeds it in certain ways and there is this feedback loop. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering if part of the difficulty of this um, non-ethical future, non-rational future, this, this futural uh, post-contemporary instance that never uh, accrues into the duration of a present, that it's partly this notion mm. too of, um, of a, loc of, of a of, localized presence, it's a at least. Well, it's, right? it's the yeah, future it's... retrospective of events, like in both a Bedusian yeah. sense and in the sense yeah. of how do we know what individuation can, uh, what what it can be, how it can do, or 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 what it can do uh, from this moment situated, you know, uh, in, in project out to this dark future and look and look back and say what will have been possible of that speculatively i i think yeah. is this is this demontology would be my question well, is, is it is it is it a demon who, dri <laughs> who, who drives the biological time of the individual and it's and like and through these protending yeah. retending you know operations right. weave in the elements of the past and the future into the present radical and, chance and put the put the yeah put the present moment out of phase with itself in this way that lets unpredictability and contingency into the into the world through a through a little demon demon portal or something right yeah the hyper chaos yeah i mean i i i i guess i'm tending there and it, it sort of sounds um you know you know I, I mean even in the way i i use i kind of put it i i, I drop in this term demontology in, in 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 my in my um my recent paper you know it you know it kind of sounds like i'm raving in a way or that i you know it, it might sound uh, um not so much speculative as as, as self-indulgent but I think it, it does come out of a, a, a predicament that we could, you know, we've all been in a sense setting up with, you know, with quite carefully. I mean, I think once you once you set up the, 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 this issue of individuation, as you said, this, this idea that you can't account for individuation in terms of individuals and you can't account for technology simply in terms of, you know, isolated tools with, hum with the various uses we put on. We, we, we apply to them, especially modern technology, you know, which is a, you know, global right. planetary system. 
um, there's constantly stimulating new developments that, that, that you know, multiple sides. Um, you know, it's not clear that that, that, that that models of agency, models of subjectivity, or, or, or anything like that are, are any use to us anymore. And and what's interesting, I guess, to me about you know where this becomes both in a sense non philosophical, but 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 I guess also reflexive and also potentially aesthetically interesting is we then have to, you know, ask, well, in a sense, what is there an intimate relationship between the kind of theorizing we're doing and, and, and the conditions under which we're kind of inserted into this system? You know, I mean, I'm inclined to think, and this is kind of one of the problems I'm dealing with in the um, Biomorph essay, is on the one hand, it seems we, you know, as we've been talking about, it seems very hard to apply some kind of transcendental idea of subjectivity of organisms of individuals um to this to this milieu to, to kind of constrain it at the same time there seems to be something radically embodied about the very idea of doing post-humanism i mean in a sense what are we doing if to some extent we aren't um responding philosophically to the ethical aesthetic uh, temporal displacements that we experience all the time. Even, you know, as Bray Dotty says, you know, living in a 24-7 world where we, you know, we're, we're talking over, uh, you know, we're talking to each other in different time zones and, 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 you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's very kind of basic, I guess. But, you know, on the one hand, there, there are no bodies here. On the, on the one hand, there are, precise, you know, there are only bodies or at least bodies seem to be essential for even you know, accounting for the urgency of this kind of thinking. So, you know, I, th I think there's a, ki a kind of, I don't think it's an impasse, but it's a, there's a sort of tension here, which I'm, I find very interesting to explore. Uh, I, so I think the very, and I feel like you're, there was, we're starting to shade into it a little bit, like with kind of returning to these aesthetic themes, but I think the very last thing, and I think it, yeah. it maybe is one of these hidden kind of, you know, tight ropes between philosophy and non-philosophy or something, this question of philo fiction yeah. or a science, a sci-fi where yeah. the phi is spelled with a PH mm. indicating the, the fee function of yeah. the re reduction to philosophical concepts or something, which is like, which is insufficient. I think this would be one of the major like post-human like thrusts of non-philosophy is that reduction to philosophical concepts is like, does, is not sufficient to like fix being, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think we're all agreed on that. I mean, I, I, you know, as I said, I, I touch on. I think, as you said, I touch on Laruel, and I, I, I've read some Laruel, but I don't claim any special expertise. So I, I guess what interests me are the sort of overlaps here, in a sense, I kind of see myself as engaged in a project with with some similarities to people doing kind of Laruelian non-philosophy, but but perhaps using a different, you know, nodding respectfully, but using a different kind of... Right, sure, different, sure. Different, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 that's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I you know, since writing the book, I, I, I've kind of experimented with with introducing kind of fictional elements within text and in a sense kind of, if you like, weaponizing philosophical concepts for non-philosophical purposes, for, for purposes you might call aesthetic, and kind of weaving them into um, texts which both involve some sense of a fictional world, although the, the, the idea of a world here is usually pretty tenuous. Uh, um, so it's not like simply doing kind of science fiction uh, but using elements perhaps of science fiction and other um, other fictions to re-motivate philosophical concepts to and also using philosophical concepts to re-motivate these kind of fictional elements and um, I'm you know, I'm I'm still kind of grappling with what 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 exactly I'm trying to do here. Apart from, I have had you know for a while I've had certain ideas about 
certain wanting to write certain kinds of texts with certain kinds of sort of disruptions and interstices, um, which you know an aesthetic aim. Um, but I think, in some ways, they're also kind of performing this kind of insufficiency that we've been talking about by, in a sense, not kind of binding these these concepts within within uh, traditional kind of philosophical argument. That's that's really beautiful, David. Sorry, I hope I didn't interrupt the nope. the, the thought. Okay. No, no, I've you know I think that's probably <laughs> the best I can really do. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for. I, thanks I can't for even begin you. to like thank you so much for letting us sample you know a tiny bit of your capacious and subtle thinking on these and and other issues. And I would just encourage listeners who have made it this far to please go and, and buy all uh, buy David's book uh, Post Human Life. And um, Dr. David Roden, thank you so much for for spending some time with us here on Theory Talk. Yeah, well, thanks. It's been a blast, and um, you know, uh, look forward to um, you know listening. You know, plumbing the archive. Actually, I've just you know started listening to to this podcast, but it's it's, it's great, and I lo- I love the kind of you know the urbane quality of it all. I really appreciate. Well, David, it. I also want to thank you for coming on, and and I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, enjoyed no, it's what, been great. what you sent us and what we talked about. And, and Joe's right. We've just kind of really laid the, the groundwork. And so I know that leaves us open, you know, in the, in the coming months uh, to, to follow up and, and, and uh, maybe, maybe see where, uh, where, where we are uh, a few months from now, we can, we can, yeah, we can yeah. get even deeper into some of these topics and, uh, and, 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 and sort of, um, you know, connect up some more thinkers, especially because, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, willing to, to, to talk uh, about Laura well with you. And so we can kind of, uh, you know, yeah, I, I need, yeah. I need that. I kind of need to go to Laurel school. Well, I, 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 think, I, I, I think that you did, you did very, I think you did admirably in like laying out at least, you know, one yeah. really got like key guiding thread and, 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 and using that uh, to weave into the, the tapestry of your, of your essay on the, on the post-human. So uh, I, I approve at least of the, the work that, that you're doing. And I know that any, that, that any other, any uh, further reading of Laurawell, it, it would be areas obviously for resonance. And, and part of that too is, is, is differentiating yeah. your, um, into where you're wanting to go with your investigations and obviously not, there doesn't have to be, and there shouldn't be just simple, uh, agreement there, there, there's, there's, I think uh, it's like with the Nietzsche thing. It's like, yes, if you're, if you're reading it carefully, you have to actually make something new or whatever. Right. And so, but it, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, we are just really, yeah. yeah. Thankful for your participation and, um, in this and I'm yeah. thankful to participate. You know, it's been ex- extremely helpful, in fact. You know, so I'm, I'm going to be listening Great. to the whole thing again. And oh, that's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to, yeah. uh, we'll take a